Thanks for doing that. That helps us a lot. You'd be surprised at uh, how that can help us as we think about uh, Trinity and uh, what God's doing here and how we can take next steps with you. So we're going to begin a study here, a brand new study on the book of Ruth in just a minute, but I want to just uh, bring you up to speed. We've been, we've been uh, talking about something the last couple of weeks called reverberate, and I uh, want to make sure that as many people as possible know about what that is. And uh, if, if uh, you haven't heard about reverberate yet, then what I'd like you to ask you to do is uh, take a look at uh, our online presence, go to our webpage, and listen to the message from two Sundays ago called Reverberate. Easy to find because it's got this logo here. And uh, here's what we're praying. We're praying that God will start a movement in this valley that begins with our church, that Trinity can be part of raising the quality of life in this valley, that, that Trinity would be part of bringing common grace to the valley and just making a life better, but that Trinity also would bring uh, saving grace and help people come to a knowledge of Jesus for eternity. And that all is what reverberate is all about, reverberating off the walls of this valley. And uh, we're going to... Tr- do some big things coming up soon, some of them, that uh, we want everyone to know about. So if you are not familiar with what we're talking about, you haven't listened to that message yet, it's long, I know it. I went a long time. I looked at the time on that when I was done. I'm like, well, those poor people, you know, felt like about 10 minutes to me. But so it's long. So get on a treadmill and, and uh, you know, get on a treadmill, go on a nice long drive, listen to that message, you'll be caught up. It's about being disciples and making disciples and making a difference in this valley. You actually have a little bit of a metal reminder in your worship folders this morning about that. So that's what that, that is about. And I want to make sure we're all doing this together. But this morning what we're going to do is we're going to start a journey through a beautiful book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. Ruth is a beautiful, peaceful, serene story about how God works in the lives of ordinary people, ordinary people, and it takes place over 3,000 years ago, about 12 or 1300 B.C., but it contains timeless truths that can encourage and equip us as we follow God today. And uh, the title of this series is called Faithful, and by the time we're done, I think you'll understand what faithful means. Now, the book of Ruth is reliable history. Sometimes I will refer to Ruth as a story, and it is a story, but I want you to know that, first of all, it's reliable history. It really happened, uh, but it's written so well. This reliable history is recorded so beautifully that it really functions as a piece of literature as well. And it's, a possible, it's possible to appreciate it both as history and as a, a well-told story. So it's history, but it's a story. And, and for our purposes, we're going to think of it kind of like a short story because that's really how it plays out. It's a short story, only four chapters long, and just a handful of characters. Uh, There are three primary characters. There's Ruth, her mother-in-law, Naomi, and a man named Boaz. And they're the primary characters, and we're going to get to know them pretty well. But there's uh, also a secondary cast of characters who kind of come in and out of the story. We're going to watch them come in and out and see the roles that they play. But behind it all, there's one really big actor. His name is God. And he is all over the book of Ruth. So that every person who looks ordinary and every event that just looks ordinary actually has God's fingerprints all over it. So what that means is that we're going to be able to look at 
God at work in the lives of some ordinary people, and then we're going to be able to come away after six Sundays, and we're going to come away with a new awareness of God's presence in our lives, a new ability to spot his hand in the events in our lives, and also a new ability to trust him and his, his uh, working in every circumstance in our lives. That's what we're going to get from this study of the book of Ruth. And unfortunately, God's presence in our lives so much of the time shows up against the backdrop of hardship and hard times, in times of tragedy and sorrow. Sometimes that's when God's presence seems to be the clearest in, in uh, I guess you could say, in times of turbulence, right? And uh, that's how our story begins. It starts with turbulence. Someone had a life plan, and it's not happening. Someone had thought they knew where their life was going, and it took a, a drastic turn for the worst. Someone had a, a, a life plan, and it's starting to totally unravel. Now, maybe you can already begin to relate to that, even though that happened 3,000 years ago. You can relate because your life has highs and lows and twists and turns to it as well. See, here's the deal. If you live long enough and if you love enough people, there will come a time or be many times when your life won't go according to plan. Now, if you don't love people, you might be able to manage that a little bit better, all right? If you don't love people and all you, it's just you, then you, your life still could not go according to plan, but the, the variables are, some of the variables have been removed. But that's not the way we go through life. We go through life loving people, and if you love enough people, there will be times when your life will not go according to plan. Now, the other way to make sure that life goes according to plan is to die young, all right? If you want to die young, then you might have some chance of saying, I planned out my life and it happened just like I wanted it to. But unless, if you live long enough and love enough people, there will come a time when your life will not go according to plan. I mean, dial, dial back over the last 10 years. Look back over the last 10 years and say, and, and look at the things that have happened in you and the lives of people that you love. And I'm going to bet, I just know, that there are things that have happened in the last 10 years that were not on your life plan. They were not part of your goals for your life, and they happened. They, now, maybe they were good things, or maybe they were bad things, but either way, they happened to you, and they weren't part of your plan. And I can guarantee you that as you look ahead at the next 10 years, there are going to be some things that are going to happen to you. Some of them are going to be good. Some of them are going to be bad. And you, they are not on your bucket list for the next 10 years. They're going to happen to you, but they're not part of your plan. And maybe that's where you find yourself not just looking back or the future, but like right now. You had a life map, and you are not anywhere on it right now. You're, you had a plan for your life. You had a plan for where your kids would be and what that would be like as a parent. And right now, that's not where you find yourself. You had a plan for your marriage right here, and... That's not where you find yourself right now. You had a plan for your health. You had a plan for just a vision for who you would be at this point in your life, and you're not anywhere there right now. Well, that's 
exactly where we find one of the main characters at the beginning of the story of the book of Ruth. Now, her name is Naomi, and her life has gone nothing like she had planned. So what I'd like to do is invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. So so we value uh, bringing copies of God's Word with us on a Sunday morning. So if you have a Bible right there in front of you, you can find one in in one of the uh, chairs in front of you. Or you can get it online. That's great, too. You know, get it on your phone. But we want to read it together. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read all of chapter 1, but then we're going to come back and uh, just look almost line by line at just the first seven verses. So we want to read the whole chapter to kind of get an understanding of what's going on, but then we'll come back and examine part of it in detail. So beginning in Ruth chapter 1. Now, Ruth is just early on in your Old Testament, not very far into it as you would think. So right after Joshua, Judges, Ruth right there. And in Ruth chapter 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other named Ruth. And after they'd lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that Yahweh had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May Yahweh show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. May Yahweh the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, which is not usually how it happens, right? But it's like, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait Until they grew up, would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you, because Yahweh's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back home from you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said to them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So we read this first chapter, and we're reading beyond where we're going to study this morning because we want to kind of get a sense of a flavor of kind of where things are headed. But uh, we're, we're actually just going to focus on the first seven verses. And in the first seven verses, we really see uh, a, someone's life that has not go, gone according to plan at all. It, her name is Naomi. And when we meet Naomi, she is, she is at the bottom of her life. Her life has not at all gone according to her plan. Now, her name means, Naomi means pleasant delightful, but her life has been anything but. And this is evident from the very beginning of the book. The very first two verses, which we kind of pass over to get to the good stuff. But if you are familiar with the religious and cultural and historical setting of ancient Israel, you would read verses 1 and 2, and when you finished, you would say, oh my. You would say, oh my. So There's so much happening in those first two verses. I want to read those again. And when I'm done, I want you to say, oh my. Okay? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Oh, my. Let's try it again. And they they went to Moab and lived there. Oh, my. That's right. Oh, my. Now, you're like, okay, but what's... What's so disturbing about these two verses? There's a whole list of things. The first disturbing thing that we read is the very first line, the first phrase, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, there was a time in Israel's history when they were not led by great men like Moses or Joshua or Caleb, and they were not led by great kings like David or Solomon or even lesser kings. They were led by men called judges, and these judges varied, uh, had, were of varying quality and really of deteriorating quality of leadership. Don't talk about politics. That's what my brain just told me. <laughs> deteriorating, deteriorating qualities of leaders, and so the, uh, the, time, the period of judges was, a, was a, really a terrible time. It was a terrible time. And actually, the way to get a sense of what was happening, what this means in the days when the judges rule, is to read the verse before verse 1. And you're like, I didn't know there was a verse before verse 1. Well, sure there is. It's the last verse of the previous book, which is the book of Judges. And that verse, flip over in your Bible, and you'll see 
Verse 25, just the last verse of Judges says, in, they, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what's happening in, 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 in the land of Israel at the time. Everyone is doing their own thing. So this opening phrase, in the days when the judges rule, it's not just a time stamp. It's not meant to tell us just when this happened. It's meant to describe the social setting. It's meant to describe a time of violence and vulgarity, a time of treachery and debauchery. And this is the depraved world in which a woman named Pleasant finds herself. That's the very first disturbing statement. But the result of living like this, the result of this uh, disobedience to God that was taking place in the land of Israel was famine. And that shouldn't be any surprise to us because if we understand what's happening in the book of Judges, we know how depraved that period of time is. And if we know that God, we remember that God made a deal with the, land, with the nation of Israel and said, listen, if you, if, if you will follow me and you will be my people, I will be your God and I will take care of you. If you obey me and my commands, I will bless you. I will take care of you and prosper you. But if you ignore me and disobey me and turn to other gods, then I will leave you to your own devices. One of those devices that God would leave his people to would be famine, that God wouldn't bless them with, with even the kind of weather that they need in order to, to have the provisions that they want. So it's no surprise that in the days of the judges, there was a famine in the land. And that famine extended, we read, uh, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife, went to live for a while somewhere else. Now, that famine extends to a little town five miles south of Jerusalem, a town known as Bethlehem. We call it Bethlehem, but in Hebrew it's really two words, Beth, house, lechem, bread. Bethlehem is the house of bread. And there's a huge irony going on here because there's no bread in the house of bread. A huge just in incongruity here. It's like living in Starbucks and having no coffee. It's like living in Forks, but only having spoons. It's like a foggy day in Sunnyside. It's like not being able to afford to irrigate your lawn, even though you live in Milton, free water. There is no bread in the house of bread. That's what things had come to. Things were not going according to plan for this woman named Pleasant. Here's Naomi and her family, a husband and two sons, living in the land that God gave them, living in the land God gave them and their people, the land of Israel, but even in the house of bread, people are going hungry. Which brings up a question. What do you do when you're where you're supposed to be but things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. What do you do when you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing? Doing exactly what God has called, it was your last assignment. Do this, and you've been doing it, no compromise, no shortcuts, wholehearted, 
but things still aren't going the way that you thought they would go. Do you leave or do you stay? Well, that's the decision that Naomi had to make. Well, she didn't get to make it, actually. That's the decision that her husband, Elimelech, got to make. Now, Elimelech, his name means God is my king. El means God. El Shaddai, right? God. And Melech means king. His name means God is my king. Elimelech elects to move his family to a neighboring country, Moab. Now, again, if you were an ancient Jew, you would hear that and you would say, Oh, my. Because God had given this land to his people, the land of Israel. God had given the land of Israel to his people. That's where he wanted them to live. That's where he wanted them to follow him and worship him. Moab was a country just east of the Dead Sea. And, and in Moab was filled with pagans. They were idol worshippers. They had no knowledge whatsoever of the true God and a very conflicted relationship with the nation of Israel. But the one thing they did have was bread. And so Elimelech decides to pick up and move his family to a place where there's bread, but no God. Now, he has no business doing this. He has no business leading his family into that situation. But here's the deal. Women depended on men for their survival in that day. Like it or not, that's how it was. Women depended on men for their, not just their well-being, but their survival. They were entirely dependent on men, whether it would be their father or their husband or their sons. They had to have a man to help them survive. And so, so Naomi has no choice but to follow him. And so she, she follows him. Now here, imagine what it must be like to be in her shoes. She's stressed. She is hungry. Her family is hungry. Uh, they are moving to a foreign land. They're moving. She's leaving her people and her homeland behind her. And she's following her husband in an ill-fated decision. And she's bringing along her two most precious possessions, her two boys, Her two sons, Malon and Kilion. Now, here's a heads up. The ancient Jewish reader would would know this. You don't know this until I share it with you. The names Malon and Kilion mean sickly and frail. Not a good sign. That is what you call, I've learned this in my studies, that is what you call, when you have names like that, that's what you call, Latin phrase, a nomen omen. I never heard of that before, but that is really awesome. A nomen omen, which means the name, nomen, is a sign. The name is a sign. Malon and Killian's names mean sickly and frail. And when you name your son sickly and frail, you can imagine that you've got trouble ahead. And that's exactly how things stack up at the end of verse So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read verses 1 and 2 one more time. Now that you can fill in all the cultural, historical, religious gaps, you'll understand, we'll understand better. So when we say, oh my, at the end of this reading, we really can say it with conviction because we understand everything that's up for grabs right now. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while 
in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. That's right. Oh, my. Things are not going according to plan. And the future does not look good for Naomi. And what happens next gets even tougher. Verse 3 tells us that now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. She's left with her two sons. So you're saying there's still a chance, right? Two sons, yes, until you keep reading. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived about... So uh, they married two Moabite women. One of them is named Orpah, one of them is named Ruth. A little piece of trivia, not worth remembering beyond this morning necessarily. Oprah Winfrey's name is actually Orpah Winfrey. On her birth certificate, it's Orpah. She was named after Orpah here in the book of Ruth. But people got it mixed up early on, and she's been Oprah ever since. And she's happy about that, she says, because Oprah, spell, uh, spelled backwards, is Harpo, which is the name of her production company. And I don't know what Orpah, spelled backwards, actually is. So she's happy that she's Oprah and not Orpah, but that's where she got her name, actually on her birth certificate. And so uh, they grow up and they marry two Moabite women. That's a problem. And then, maybe after a short time, we have a little bit of a time frame here that says 10 years. And there's a difference of opinion about whether that 10 years refers to the whole chapter 1 or how long, or they marry and they were married for 10 years, uh, Mahlon and Kilion. We're not exactly sure, but at a certain point after they marry, sickly and frail die. You saw that coming, right? (laughs) And then we get to the end of verse 5, we find pleasant in misery. Both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So you're saying there's still a chance. No, we're not saying that anymore. There is not a chance. All your hope is gone. Naomi's life, not going according to plan. And here she is now in a world where women depended entirely on men for their well-being. And she's bereft of the men in her life. She has no husband. She has no son. She's an immigrant in a foreign country. She's facing emotional, financial, and a social ruin. Not only had her life not gone according to plan, but Naomi says later in verse 13 that God himself must have turned against her. He, she says in verse 13, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. I think Naomi is in a serious what we would call today depression, and with good reason. And she feels like God has himself turned against her. As a matter of fact, the years have been so hard on Naomi that when she returns home, back to her friends in her homeland next week, they're hardly going to recognize her. And when she tells her story, she's going to tell it like this. 
I went away from here full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So what do you do? What do you do when life, life conspires against you? What do you do when nothing goes according to plan, when you find yourself way off the map that you had drawn for your life? When you take a job thinking it's the answer to your problems only to find out later that it's nothing like you hoped? Or you take a spouse thinking and then finding out the same thing? What do you do when your life dream unravels to the point that people don't even recognize you anymore? And some days... You don't even recognize yourself. What do you do? Well, even in the first few verses of this book, we begin to see some answers to these questions. Now, we need to finish the story to get the whole picture, and we'll do that over the next several weeks. But already this morning, we can see two important principles at work that we can follow, something we can do when life doesn't go according to plan. The first of those is this. When life doesn't go according to plan, the first thing to do is to get where God wants you. That's what Naomi does. In verse 6 we read, When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. The Lord always comes to the aid of his people. When she heard that he had been faithful in providing food uh, she, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. The turning point in this story is when Naomi turned. The turning point takes place when Naomi turns around and starts heading back to where God wanted her to be. As a matter of fact, there is a key word in in chapter 1. It's the Hebrew word for return. The word to turn or return shows up ten different times just in chapter 1. It's a clue. It's telling us a timeless principle. It's, It's making us pay attention to how important this turning is. Because we see Naomi getting back to where God wants her. Now, here's the thing. It's not Naomi's fault that she found herself where she was. It may not be her fault that she is where she is, but it is, you know, she didn't really have a whole lot of a lot of say in that decision. But it is, it is her responsibility now to do something about it. And she does. She turns and heads back to the land that God gave her to live. And that's really the first thing we should check when life doesn't go according to plan. We should make sure that we are where God wants us. Now, for some of us, that means staying put right where we are. That means staying put because we're exactly where God wants us. Turbulence is not always a sign that God wants us somewhere else. It's not always a sign that we're doing something wrong. So turbulence itself is not a sign that it's time to go. Elimelech should have stayed put. Right there in the house of bread. So sometimes, getting where God wants us means staying right where we are. Staying put. So one of the first things we should ask us when life doesn't go according to plan is, am I where God wants me to be? Because we will not find safety, security, health, 
happiness outside of where God wants us to be. Think about Elimelech and the irony of his situation. He moved to Moab to escape death. He moved to Moab to ensure the health of his two sons. How did that work for him? We do the same thing. We try to find what we want outside of where we know God wants us. It never works. We will never find what we're looking for outside of where God wants us. So sometimes if you're where God wants you to be, you just got to stay right where you are. God will give you the strength to carry out your assignment right where you are if you are where God wants you. So you're in a tough marriage and you think what you need is a new spouse or you need a little something on the side, don't kid yourself. You will not find the happiness that you're looking for outside of God's plan for sex and marriage. You will not find what you want outside of where God wants you. You find yourself in a tough circumstance where you feel like you have a hard assignment. What God has called you to do is difficult, and what you really want to do is quit, but you know that that's not what God wants you to do. What You've got to stay where God wants you. He'll give you what you need to finish the job he's called you to do. You have a tough situation at work. You feel like you're, uh, in order for you to do a great job at work, maybe even keep your job, you've got to do something that you know is not right. You've got to sacrifice your integrity. You've got to, you've got to cut some corners that you know aren't right for you to cut because your boss is watching you. He expects certain results or he's asked you to do something and, and you've got to keep your job. Well, you know who really helps you keep your job? It's not your boss. It's not whether you, it's not, it's not, it's not you, it's God. He's the one who keeps you safe on your job. And even if doing the right thing on your job means you've, you, you get fired. Who's in charge of your security? Who's in charge of of your safety and providing for you? God is. And so the only safety in life, the only happiness in life is is found when we're where God wants us. You won't find what you want outside of where God wants you. So for some of us, we just got to stay put and keep doing what God has called us to do. For some of us, we got to move. We got to turn. Some of us need to turn, not stay put, but we're off the map and kind of like we got us there. And we've got to turn. We've got to make some life adjustments. You're not where God wants you, and you know it's time to head back home. Maybe you have a relationship that you know is not honoring to God, and it's time for you to walk away from that. Or you have uh, some priorities that you've been pursuing, and you know they're all out of whack, and you've got to get those priorities back in order if you want uh, God to continue his good work in your life. You may have uh, some lifestyle practices that you know aren't what God really wants for his people Hey, you know what? You want God to go with you? You've got to turn and get back to where he wants you. You have some self-medicating issues that help you cope with life, but, but they are not God's plan for his children. You've got to turn and get back to where God wants you. That's the very first step. Now, I know that potentially when I say that, we're potentially talking about some really big things. I know that that's true. You can't do it on your own. That's why you have a church, a faith family to help you. 
And so we don't have all the answers either, but we can walk this road together with you and help you turn from the things that, that uh, have kept you from being able to walk with God and help you begin to get things back in order to begin to get back where God wants you. So we don't know what those things are unless you share those with us or share those. So, so talk to your growth group leader in a growth group. Go to your growth group leader, someone in your growth group, and say, I need some help getting back to where God wants me. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to me. Find a counselor. I mean, do something. Now, it may not be your fault that you are where you are. It may have been someone else's impact on your life that that brought you to where you are, but now it's your responsibility to get back where God wants you. You have a church, people who love you, who want to help you do that. So that's the first principle. We've got to get back where God wants us. There's a second principle that we need before we go. So here's what Naomi does. She picks up, she packs up, and she ends up back in Bethlehem. That's kind of the good news. The bad news, she is a fragment of the person that she was when she left. Her friends don't recognize her. She says, I left hungry. Yeah, that was bad. But I tell you what, I came back empty, and that's so much worse. She feels like God's hand is against her. She's lost everything that has ever mattered to her, and she is filled with grief. The only thing she has in abundance is pain. But here's the great part. We are only in chapter 1. We're only in chapter 1, at the beginning of this story. There is more to this story, and it is so much better. And all Naomi has to do is wait for the rest of the story. If you were here, uh, really, it was was only first service last week. Ted Rubish was here talking about his uh, ministry in Sri Lanka and, and, and preaching. And he only shared this story in first service, not in second service. So you may or not have heard it. But he was talking about how his wife, Renate, reads novels. And it reminds me of what happens at my house. She gets into the, the, the book a few chapters, and then she gets disturbed. Right? Because the first few chapters of a story are always disturbing. They're always like full. They're a mess. And so she gets so agitated that what she does is she goes to the end of the book and reads the last couple of chapters. And then she goes back to the beginning and she's okay with it. She's like, I, this is okay. She can handle the mess because she knows how the story ends. Hey, you know what? You're just in the middle of your mess right now. You're just in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. You're like, I don't know if I can do this. So let me tell you the end of the story. The end of the story is you survived. You survived. God took care of you. God resurrected you to eternal life with him. Now, that's the very, 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 very end of the story. And you might have to wait that long to be able to say, okay, so that's, that's life. You may have to go to the very, very, very last page, but I tell you what, you get there, you're going to be okay. You're going to be better than okay. You're going to be better than you've ever been. So go back to right now and say, oh, it's a mess, but I'm going to, it's going to be a great story. It's going to be a great story. That's really the second principle. When life doesn't go according to plan, 
Just wait for the rest of the story. Wait for the rest of the story. See, by the end of the story, by the time we get to chapter 4, things are going to be so much better. Naomi, who is hurting and empty, is going to be full. She starts out empty. She ends up full. She's going to be seven times fuller than when she began. Romans 8.28 was true then, too, that God works all things for the good of His people. Every single thing, God can turn the tables on it to work good in your life. Your life may feel like a mess right now, but that's just because you're in the middle of the story. God is not done writing your story. He's not done writing your story, and you might just have to wait. But here's the good news. You can wait with hope. You can wait with joy and with confidence. One reason we have the book of Ruth with us is to help us learn to wait. Ruth helps us see someone's life played out over time so that we can understand how God works in our lives played out over time. And really the best part of the book of Ruth isn't even realized. Really, Naomi and Ruth both die and Boaz dies and everyone in the book dies before the best thing in the book happens. you got to stick around. I'm not going to tell you what that is. But the best thing in the book happens after everybody's dead. You can wait with hope. You can wait with joy. We can wait with confidence, knowing that God is faithful. And if we'll get where he wants us, then he's going to take care of us. So here's what I want to ask you to think about this morning. First of all, I want you to think, if you're not where God wants you, you need to get back in. You need to get back where God wants you. Again, that could be a big thing. It could be a small thing. You need to get back to where God wants you. You may need help in doing that. It may be some big stuff that you've got to walk through. That's okay. We want to help you do it. We're your faith family. Or if you say, you're not my faith family. I'm just here the first Sunday or second Sunday. Hey, we want to be. We'll help you walk through that. We don't have all the answers, but you can walk through these times with some people by your side. We want to help you get back to where God wants you. If you are where God wants you, then stay there. That's not an easy place to be, and that's not an easy thing to hear. It would be easy to hear, hey, you know you're in a hard place. Just go do whatever you feel like would bring you some relief. That would be the easy thing to say. That'd be the easy thing to hear, but that's not getting where God wants us. God will give you what you need. He'll give you what you need to do what he has called you to do. Just keep getting up every day and and trusting him to do that. And then, finally, we can wait with hope. We can wait with hope for the rest of the story. Maybe there's, there's one more possible application. We're talking about people who can know that God is at work in their lives because really they belong to him, because they've turned to Jesus as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of your life. And you're like, I'm not sure I'm in on that part of the story. I'm not sure that I've ever really done that. I'm not sure I have any kind of special relationship with God. Well, that's where it all begins. And if you want in on this confidence that we can have, then what you need is to turn to Jesus as the one that God sent. Jesus is the one that God sent to Die in your place so that you can have forgiven sins, a repaired relationship with God, the promise of eternal life when you die. 
And, and that may for you be the very first turning. That's the very first getting where God wants you. If you're not sure you've done that and you want to know more about how to do that, we want to do that with you as well. And so you can, again, put a, something on your comment card. Contact someone you know here at Trinity who can help you understand how to do that. Let one of us know, one of the pastors uh, know how to help you do that. And uh, that's where your journey actually begins. So what I'd like to do is, we've all got things we can think about. I want to give you a minute just to pray. So if you'll bow your heads for just a minute, I want to give you a little bit of time to think. Now maybe there's someone here who needs to do a big turn, or a little turn, but this is a great time for you to tell God, I want to get back to where you want me. And then come up with the very first step. What's the first thing you're going to do to get back to where God wants you? Maybe this morning you just need to tell God, God, I am. I can't wait for the rest of the story. I'm going to wait with hope because I know that you're faithful. So this is a chance to strengthen your confidence in him. Take a minute, think about what God has been saying to you during this message, and then we'll close with prayer. Father, um, thank you so much that you are someone who can be trusted. Thank you that even in the mess of life, when we can't see beyond the next chapter, we can look at the end of the story and know that in Jesus, we're going to be okay. Sometimes it's hard to wait. So I pray for those here this morning who are really waiting for the rest of the story, that you will strengthen them, that they'll know, they'll leave this morning having been encouraged because they know that you're at work in their lives. I pray for those here this morning who need to get where you want them. I pray that you will show them the practical steps, at least step one, step one to getting there and help them to take that step so that they can know that you are with them in this life and that you are going to continue writing their good story as they turn to you. And we pray that, uh, kind of what we sang this morning, it's sweet to trust in Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Do that in our lives, through Jesus, the one we worship this morning, the one we follow, the one in whose name we pray, amen.